And hello, it is time for the 7th Avenue Project. I'm Robert Polly. Today on our show... When love was king, you know. Well, I know that love is king in the music of Gregory Porter. Gregory is the acclaimed jazz and soul singer-songwriter who graced these same airwaves and this same show in one of our favorite interviews of the past year. We got to hear a lot of Gregory's songs and some of his quite interesting life story in that interview. We also talked about his seemingly sudden prominence on the jazz scene following his debut album three years ago. Well, it has been uh, a year since I talked to Gregory, and uh, he's even more prominent now, having won all kinds of awards, including a Grammy nomination, and critical accolades, and a lot of new fans. He's been getting massive props not only for his gospel and soul-inflected vocals, but also for his original compositions, many of which, saith Downbeat Magazine, have the potential to be this century's new jazz standards. Well, Gregory was in town this past week giving a really wonderful performance at our premier jazz club, and that visit gave me a chance to catch up with him and resume our discussion of his life, his career, and sources of inspiration. I also got a little taste of his latest songs, which are coming out on his uh, new album this fall. That is all ahead in the hour to come. Stay tuned. Gregory, welcome back. Thank you, sir. Glad, glad to be back. Yeah. It's been about a year since we talked last, and I'm kind of curious what you've been up to. I've been searching all the corners of my brain, sweeping dust and memory. No. Um. Quoting from your own song, Illusion. <laughs> um, <laughs> modifying the lyric a bit. Um, no, I've been uh, on tour. I've been traveling quite a bit, primarily in Europe, some in the United States, but uh, touring almost nonstop, really, yeah. So you are very much in demand these days. Um, how's that feel? I mean, is that a good feeling, or does it feel a little bit overwhelming at this point? Everybody wants you. Mm. <laughs> no, it feels good. Um, in a way, it's a confirmation of your ideas about what's important in music, or at least what's important in music to you. And maybe people appreciate that I'm enjoying myself in the music, and that's why they appreciate me. Uh, but... Um, you know, in my idea of trying to be organic and be myself and, and try to find something real to say for me that's true to me, I've, I've received some significant appreciation. And it's not false humility. I'm surprised and humbled yeah, at the same time. You said that in a way it's confirmation of the things that you've been exploring on your own. Was there a time when you were coming up starting out as a jazz singer, but also as a songwriter, where you were really putting your own aesthetics on the line, where you had doubts, where you wondered, I like this, but will other people? Well, in college, because I have the kind of voice that um, I could sing gospel, soul, R&B, they would always ask me, why don't you sing this music? You know, (laughs) like a popular song when I was in college was uh, Color Me Bad. I want to sex you up. (laughs) I want to sex you up. (laughs) And I remember this group of guys, fraternity guys, coming to me. And they're like, we want to do this song, but we want you to be the lead singer on this song. And I was like, ah. And they wanted to do it for for Valentine's Day. And my idea of a tune for Valentine's Day was Misty. Mm. Pretty much the furthest thing from I want to sex you up. (laughs) Now, the interesting thing is, is you're saying the same thing, 
But misty is just a whole lot clever. More, mm-hmm. more, more. Is that a word? Cleverer. Mm-hmm. A whole mm-hmm. lot more clever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Walk my way and a thousand violins begin to play. That's beautiful, right? You essentially saying the same thing. I want to set you up, but it's just, it's, it's more elegant and artfully done. <laughs> the, cats, the cats in college were always like, uh, you know, you sing that old music, man. You know, you should sing this because you could. And, you know, the ladies would go crazy. And they probably would. Maybe I would, you know, would have made some money faster. I don't know. But but this is the music that's in my heart. And um, I didn't sing that song with that group. Um, <laughs> you chose not to. <laughs> yeah, I sang Misty. Yeah, I did. <laughs> didn't go over with the fraternity guys, I bet. But uh, in the long run, it was a, a wise decision. Yeah, in the long, long run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we talked last time. Uh, when I interviewed you last year about your beginnings as a singer-songwriter, you were very precocious. You were already starting to think about jazz mm. when you were like six years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is there's a couple of things happening here. So I, I could hear myself in the music and in terms of how I would sing, in terms of uh, you know how jazz was played, not even the vocal jazz. I could, I could hear like the influence of of gospel in jazz and blues which is the close cousins of of gospel Mm -hmm. you know and so it was both that and it was Nat King Cole's sound that drew me in and I don't know where as a child you pick up things from places you have no idea where it comes from but this 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 smooth ballad style that uh, Nat King Cole employed was something that was like felt right at home to me, you know. It could even be coming from cartoons. I remember on Tom and Jerry, I don't know who that vocalist is on there, but uh, they would, you know, is you is or is you ain't my baby? Is you is, you know. <laughs> I, I forgot was, they ever used that. Yeah, they sure wow. did. Wow. And I was like, what is that? Yeah, and every now and then they would have like a, a stream beam singing some, uh, you know, Frank Sinatra song, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you never see the old Betty Boop cartoons with Cab Calloway in them? Yeah. And Louis Armstrong? Yeah, yeah. Those were amazing. They had the real jazz greats. They even had, you know, sort of montaged um, sort of movie footage of them into the cartoons. Yeah. But you started right away thinking of your own stuff. I mean, you told me that you, at the age of roughly six, came up with a song of your own? yeah. I didn't make you sing it last time, but I thought I might this time. Yeah, you know, I um, I sing it now sometimes, and I'm like, uh, I'm like, wow, that's that's okay, that's okay. <laughs> and for six, I'm like, once upon a time I had a dreamboat. Once upon a time I had a love. Once upon a time I had a dreamboat, and upon that boat I found my love. You know it. Goes on and on with some with some other lyrics, um, but um, my mother heard that and she said, "Boy, you sound like Nat King Cole," and that was my connection to Nat King Cole right there, you know. So yeah, uh, the, the listening audience can't see my face, but I am agape that a six year old could write something like that. Yeah, especially that part. Uh, hmm, what was I thinking? <laughs> Indeed, yeah. I mean it. It has a smooth, sophisticated adult sound to it. Yeah. Um. 
and you remember it from all the way back. So you must have been sort of singing it to yourself all these years. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and you know, my family. There's another song I wrote called "The Sun." The song always would come up. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Gregory thinks he's somebody. Listen to, he's got this song. You know, the sun. Oh, you so so. How's it go? Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This was, you know, this is like this my first attempt at writing a gospel song. The sun is God, and God is the sun. You know, so they would always tease me, uh, but at the same time they were teasing me in a way they were probably proud of me at the same time. You know. Um. Sadly, there there are no recordings of you at that age. Uh, I guess this is as close as we'll ever get. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the first time you recorded, was it with the um, Broadway performance of Ain't Nothing But the Blues, the Broadway show? Um, the first time I recorded was with Hubert Laws, yeah. That was my first recording experience. Oh, and you sang Smile. I did Smile, yeah. Composed by? Uh, Charlie Chaplin. Charlie yeah. Chaplin. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I happen to have that recording, you and the, the flutist Hubert Laws, you singing Smile by Charlie Chaplin. Light up your face with gladness, hide every trace of sadness, although a tear may be ever so near. That's the time must keep on trying smile what's the use of crying you find that life is still worthwhile if you just Gregory Porter singing Smile on an album that was a tribute, I guess, to uh, Nat King Cole by Hubert Laws. Is that yes, right? Yes, yes. Because Nat King Cole had recorded that song. Yeah, Hubert Laws remembers uh, the unforgettable Nat King Cole. I think right. that was the title of the record. Yeah. But Hubert had a, you know, a great love and respect for Nat King Cole. And recently, George Benson has, has recorded a, a tribute album uh, to Nat King Cole. And in the interviews, he talks about. I've I've listened to a couple of them, and I'm I'm just I'm blown away how close the experience is of George Benson and myself in terms of the effect of Nat King Cole's music. Now George is seventy something, and you know I'm not seventy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm considerably younger and George Benson has a recording of himself that I think the record starts off with a recording of himself at six or seven years old singing a Nat King Cole song and I was like wow the effect that Nat King Cole had on this young musician was the same effect that he had on me uh, if I recall correctly I even remember him saying his father wasn't raising him as well, so I, I you know, oh, if no. I get a chance to uh, to see George Benson on maybe a festival somewhere, I'm going to ask him was it was it fulfilling that place of like like father figure uh, in a way because Nat's <laughs> voice had that had that effect for me, so it's really interesting, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, we should um, say that in our last interview we talked about this, the fact that. You not only were impressed by Nat King Cole as a singer, but he did feel like a imaginary father. Your father wasn't on the scene for you. Right. You even 
did a whole play about this right. that you wrote and, and performed in, yes? Right, right. What was it called? Nat King Cole and Me. Wow. So you have to meet up with uh, George Benson and talk about this. Now, I imagine when he was connecting with Nat King Cole, that was probably the era when Nat King Cole was uh, had a TV show, perhaps, and mm-hmm. he was probably even seeing him, whereas yeah. you, you did it through old records. Old records and album covers. Uh-huh. You know? uh, uh-huh. Yeah. I never thought of um, Nat King Cole as a kid's performer. I always thought of him as maybe the consummate adult mature yeah. performer. Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting. Well, yeah, you know, just that's based on my mother saying I did something like somebody. You did something like Nat King Cole. Yeah, like, that's okay, true. Who did I do something like? Uh-huh. And once I put the records on, the words and the lyrics meant something to a six-year-old. And literally, the lyric, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, start all over again, was a man speaking to a boy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the love songs was like the love that I understood of, of, of being missing, which is my father being missing. What'll I do when you are far away? And I am blue and missing you. I understood those lyrics to mean the longing and the, and the absence of the love that I had. Now, that wasn't the intention of the writer. That wasn't the intention of Nat King Cole. But as I sat near the stereo at six and seven years old, that's the understanding that I had, which is, which is the interesting thing I realized when I write songs and when I sing songs, I have one intention. But when it goes out to the ears and to the hearts of people, they do with your music what they will. And, uh, and it means something to them. It has a specific meaning for them. So that's an extraordinary thing about the, the art of, of music as well. Tell me, have you heard of any interesting interpretations that people have brought to you, uh, stories of how they've internalized your music in ways you never even you yeah. Know, intended? Yeah, I had to uh, take a breath. Um, I got a, a letter from a, a gentleman who was um, having some depression. Somehow his, his wife and his son weren't able to get through to him. And he heard, be good. And for me, it's a lullaby to a grown man, but he took it in a totally different way in terms of meaning of the pressure of the outside world. And he felt like a caged lion who was, was intelligent and who was gifted, and he was unable to express it. And somehow the song was a release for him. He took the metaphors and shaped it for his life. And he sent me a, uh, a, a message, a very deep letter, at how the song helped him and it helped him to release. And he said he, he was on the edge. He was like, I was deeply depressed and, and disconnected and felt like, you know, I needed to make an exit from this world. Now, that sounds intense for me. That's, that was intense. Uh, are intense you letter. saying, Gregory, your song saved his life? That's what he said. He said it, it, it was just the thing that I needed to hear in a male voice. She said, lions are made for cages just to look at in delight. You dare not let them walk around because they might just bite. He felt like he was contained inside of this cage and this box and not allowed to be out to be free, to be the expressive, intelligent person that he is. And this gave him a release. You know, there's many other stories that aren't that deep. But that one, that one's like, ooh, yeah. And I helped, and, I, and I, I'm grateful for that. I mean, that was, you know, my mother was a minister, and, and, and I'm, I'm far from it. But in a way, um, I do feel like I have some 
mission and helping people and you know sometimes in music and so so when I can and when there's like there is an effect if it's pretty good I feel like I'm you know this is the legacy of my mother that I'm you know carrying on so yeah well we would be remiss not to play that song after that story um though we played it in our last interview who cares let's play it again <laughs> be good the title song off your most recent album be good written by you and performed by you I sing my lion song and brush my mane She would and she could So she pulled my lion's tail and caused me pain She said lion To look at in delight You dare not let them walk around Cause they might just bite She knows what she does When she dances round my cage And says her name Be good, be good Be good is her name Trim my lion's claws and I and I cut my mane and I would if I could but that woman treats me the same she said lions are made for cage Just to look at and deny you Dare not let them walk around Cause they might just bite Does she know what she does When she dances around my cage That was an excerpt there from Be Good by my guest Gregory Porter from his 2012 album. Is that right? 2012 album, Be Good? Yeah, sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah, actually, yes. <laughs> Seems like so long ago. <laughs> uh, what year are we in? <laughs> and, and most of the songs like that one on the album were written by you, mm-hmm. as was the case with your previous album, your first album, Water. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, uh, you know, it's it's so interesting to hear that story by the man who wrote you the letter about Be Good. Um the song, I never would have thought of that. You told me what your original intention was behind that song. It was after a relationship that had been frustrating with a woman. Mm-hmm. You felt frustrated because you couldn't really connect with her. You felt like a caged lion, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was really a relationship song. Yeah, yeah, it was a relationship song. And um, But after the breakup, it was, you know, almost like we do lions in the zoo. It's like, ah, we love to walk around them uh. and delight in their 
beauty and size and 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 strength. But <laughs> you know, with this this little lion, you better not let that doggone thing out, because then he'll be big and strong and brave and extraordinary, and that's not always good in you know with mere humans. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, in a way, yeah, she's frightened of what my love might be. I think maybe. And that song, it, it's such a gentle, warm, pleasant song in three, four time and waltz time, and it is consoling, you know. Now that you mentioned, yeah, it. well, it was a lullaby to myself, and uh-huh. and and just like the blues, you know, you can think of the blues as oh, this woes me, sad, <laughs> sorrowful music, but sometimes <laughs> talking about your pain is what the you know the genius of the blues mm. is is what can be. You know, mm. I, I talk about my song, uh, 1960 What, in this way. 1960 What is a conversation about what was. About the turmoil of the 1960s, about the Detroit riots, the assassination of Martin Luther King, 60s, events like that. 70s, any, yeah, any yeah. one of those events. But in a way, it's a conversation about where we are now as mm. well. And so so when a, when a blues singer is like, oh, my baby left me. Nothing more I can do. Mm-hmm. Oh, my baby left me. You know, he may be speaking of the right now, but he may be, ooh, but look where I am now. You know, there's there's a whole bunch of psychological ways to look at these blues, and they're, 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 they're sophisticated, much more sophisticated than we give them credit for. So. Uh, the one... Uh, example I have of you singing the blues uh, is from that Broadway show we mentioned, Ain't Nothing But the Blues. This is uh, Sweet Home Chicago. One and one is two. Uh-huh. Two and two is four. Sweet Home Chicago, performed by Gregory Porter and other cast members from the Broadway production of It Ain't Nothing But the Blues, including Buddy Guy and C.E. Smith. This is the 7th Avenue Project. I'm Robert Polly. Gregory, that uh, recording of um, Sweet Home Chicago, that's from like back in the 90s, right? Yeah, yeah, that's from uh, the, the late 90s uh, that, that recording was. And we can hear you there, you know, belting some, some old-time blues there. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you say your voice has changed since then? Um, seasoning and uh, a maturity, and after uh, several bouts of bronchitis, quite a bit deeper. <laughs> you think the bronchitis actually enriched your voice? I know it did. Um, <laughs> uh, I was singing higher, and after maybe three stints of six months of coughing it did change in in a welcome way uh yes well no it's not in this <laughs> you know it's it's hard to be singing you know i love you for <laughs> <laughs> sentimental reason 
it was just a tickle I couldn't get rid of. Mm. You know? Oh yeah, no, I didn't mean that, but I meant that in the end, when you healed, you had yeah. a richer, deeper. Yeah, and uh, it, of course, you, it happened over time. So it, maybe there was a just a natural maturing I of the see. voice as I well. See. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it yeah, definitely for sure. Uh huh. Well, we've been talking about um, blues and songs about troubles as being comforting in a way. You have quite a few about love troubles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I'd play another example of that. This one, in fact, is called Our Love. Let's just hear a bit of that one. They think we're weak But you're the reflection of my love We're incomplete But you're the direction of my love Vultures are flying round the ramparts of The towers of our love Don't it sound sweet? Our love, how did we meet? This is the question of our love. They prayed defeat. Betty Paul, bearers of our love. Forces of hate have stormed the gates around the castles of our love. Don't it sound sweet? A selection there from the song Our Love, written and performed by my guest Gregory Porter. Gregory, there's some interesting lyrics in there. Mm -hmm. And I really want to know the story behind this, if you're willing to reveal it. Sure. Uh, how did we meet? This is the question of our love. They pray defeat, petty pallbearers of our love. Forces of hate have stormed the gates around the castles of our love. <laughs> this sounds like Romeo and Juliet or something. <laughs> well, it was the setting in which I wrote it. I was uh, walking around the Tower of London, and uh, which is essentially just uh, a fortress uh, with ramparts and eight-foot-thick stone walls house the crown jewels of the queen of england and i just started as i was walking around it i was considering what if love was inside being protected from these slings and arrows uh that people send its way i remember walking down the street with with my then lady and somebody with an earshot of me saying wow that's a weird couple oh wow and uh and and why would they say such a thing ah uh, she's short i'm tall She's light, I'm dark, she is Russian, I'm American, uh, you know, a whole bunch of reasons. She's beautiful, I'm gruff. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? Um, but they said it. Initially, it gave me just like a twinge of anger, but then not. It, then I was like, our love. You know, and, and so I, I was considering those two places and those two things. Somebody calls it a tell-off song, you know, you, to, to tell off the haters, mm-hmm. which is, you know, forces of hate have stormed the gates around the castles of our love. It's the treachery mm-hmm. in the song. It's 
is what I'm talking about. Mm. But then I forget it all. Mm. Don't it sound sweet, our love? When I, when I say that's the sweetest part of the song, it's like, like vultures are flying around the ramparts of the towers of our love. You know, vulture these, are these birds that are circling for death. They're waiting for the death of it. It's not coming. You'll go hungry tonight because don't it sound sweet, mm -hmm. our love. Yeah. It took her a, a while to get it. Like, okay, oh, it is positive. Yeah, it is positive. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But it implies that somebody's rooting for your downfall. Right, right, right. right. Was that ever the case with this relationship? Which, by the way, I'm guessing this is the woman who became your wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It shocks me when you when you run into it, but there's always somebody who can sit somewhere and say, "Oh, that's not supposed to be. Those shouldn't be together. Those, you know, that type of thing." Uh, because of race, because of nationality, race, nationality, uh, people just like, you know, they put a whole bunch of things, like age, mm. um, eye color. We've never had a problem as human beings finding the difference in. Oh, you're different because. Mm. Your teeth are, go a different way. <laughs> we do it. We do it. So we're Even wired. With our, within our own groups, we're just like, okay, wait a minute. You, you have a different shade of skin color. Your, your, your hair is not quite right. You know, you, we do that as human beings. And so this is just like, a, in a way, it's a, it's a defiance and, a, and a, uh, an optimism, I like to think, about, about the, the power of, of love, you know. And, and fortunately, the thing about me, that the thing I, I learned from interviews and even looking at my writing as I, as I go along is these themes of defiance of the failure of love and, and fighting against uh, cruelty and bigotry and, you know, mistreatment of people and affirming mutual respect. These things, they keep, you know, repercolating. I'm like, ah. There that thing is again. There's that. There's me saying that again. It in a way it affirms in me that that's who I am when I when I write something mm. uh, like that. However simple, however short, the brevity of the blues is interesting to me. And so you know I'm getting to the point, saying what I'm saying and stepping away, just like the blues. And so that's what that's what our love is about. Yeah. Yeah, it does remind me of a Romeo and Juliet story, and it's also reminding me of something else we talked about last time we did an interview, and that was how growing up in Bakersfield, California, as a black family in a largely white neighborhood, you guys were exposed to some hate. Mm -hmm. A cross was burned on your lawn, things were thrown through your window, mm -hmm. and your mother, a minister, did not respond with hate. Yeah, you know, I, I think about this time. My mother, she, she was always kept a strong and straight face through, you know, a lot of difficult times, so as not to alarm us really in a way I think about it now how deep 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 a time that was we were as a family under attack and by some group not the entire community by a group but it only takes a group you know mm -hmm. by some group um as I mentioned in the last uh, interview it was you know urinating in beer bottles throwing them through the window uh they threw pumpkin and a, and a watermelon through the window and and uh burned a cross on the front yard and I don't know if I mentioned the the deepest of it, because sometimes it just sounds so unbelievable in 19, mid-1980s, uh, early 1980s, Bakersfield, California, but my brother was shot. Um, walking home from work Walking home night. from work, yeah. yeah. And, and 
Now, I'm not saying that colors and seasons, the entirety of my childhood, but it's something I, I, I remember. Um, and the majority of my experience in, in Bakersfield was, was, was beautiful with great friends, but there was some intense moments um, that followed me through, through my life. I remember, you know, just when you start to try to figure out your manhood and, and you know, how you can be with the ladies and, you know, how you, how you can, you know, you know, in high school, you're trying to figure it out. It's like, okay, let me step up and walk to this girl, you know, and say something to her and tell her I like her. And uh, I remember the girl, you know, we liked each other and I, I uh, had the idea of taking her to the prom and her, her family came to me and said, um, uh, she's special and she cannot go to the prom with a black person. And they said that to, to you? To my face. And uh, so I was like, it can be painful right at the point of figuring out your, who you are as a man, you know, trying to, you know, trying to get my manhood together. And um, yeah, just an example of, but, but you're not good enough. What, what did she say to that? Was she there? The girl? Yeah. Well, after being, you know, slapped by your mama and told you'd be sent away, you know, to a, to another state, um, you know, she had to to get in line. That was a, that was her mother saying that. Mm. So, mm. um, I don't blame her, and I don't blame the mother in a way. Almost, it's like because you know, I was in a deeper way. It's, it's ignorance and it's um, fear. Uh, yeah, fear. You know, and and some other things that we don't know what it is, mm. but um. My mother was so sharp and so strong in many ways. And I don't want this to, you know, completely season this this interview, but <sighs> but um, she was so sharp and so strong and so, you know, so much there in our face to let us know we are not better than, but equal to everybody, and not to not to be concerned about you know what anybody thinks about your culture or your skin, that you come from a great people as well, and so yeah, she was. She was sharp and um, and had, you know, grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana. So she faced it her, herself. And so she was just um, she was just there to let her five boys and her three girls know that we were equal to anybody. Did all your siblings absorb that the way you did, you think? Um, I suspect, uh, you know, I, I think of my family now and, and I suspect that there, you know, there was some stumbling that happened uh but yeah we're all we're all you know healthy upright people and i think that the message was was you know in the long haul was was absorbed uh, properly but um what do you do what is it when you don't have you know this 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 woman this irrepressible spirit in your household who the next day you know in the face of some Madness, cross burning, madness, something like madness. that. Madness. Uh, the the time that they they they, they threw a, a, a urine filled beer bottle through mine and my brother's windows, and the glass landed on our bed. and uh, And I remember uh, the police coming in to our bedroom and waking us up. And I remember going to lay on the couch in the you know in the hallway or something like that. And the next day. The windows boarded up, you know, temporarily, and and um, 
there wasn't just a whole lot of conversation of like, oh my God, oh, it was just like, okay, let's get to the park, you know. Mm. As the police officer and my mother shook glass off my my clothes that night. Was, yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. You haven't uh, written any songs about those episodes, have you? Not directly. It's, it's always indirectly. Uh, I, I deal with that. Maybe uh, the energy of 1960 what, 1960 who. I say, I could have said 1960 when, 60, 70, 80, you know. It wasn't just in the 60s, and it wasn't just the people that I mentioned. It was there's a whole lot of tragedies uh, in that in that history. But so some of the energy and the force of of the d- delivery, that passion behind it, is that life experience that I'm talking about mm-hmm. there. Um, but my mother's side of that, her spirit and her energy and her teachings, comes out in a song that I've written. Uh, for the next album uh, coming out on the Blue Note Records. It's called When Love Was King. And probably I call it When Love Was King because, you know, and even use the language that I use because I'm traveling in Europe so much. You know, there's all these kings and kingdoms and kingships (laughs) and castles. But um, When Love Was King, he lifted up the underneath and all his wealth he did bequeath to those who toiled without a gain so they could remember his reign. Of hungry children first he'd think to pull their lives from the brink. Beside him stood his mighty queen, an equal force, wise and keen. Another, another uh, lyric speaks about the fact that he didn't care about your skin He had respect for every man, regardless of your skin or clan. That is coming from my mother, probably several places, Mm. maybe Jesus Christ, Martin Luther King, and my mother. You know, Mm. just these powerful forces uh, that, in spite of, kept this, you know, positive energy. Now, this is just a, you know, six, seven minute song, but it's the way. I was taught, and it's the way I believe it's my political ideology. Now there, we just talked about eradicating racism, child hunger, dealing with poverty, and gender equality. And I did it with a melody. Hmm. Oh, by the way, melody? Let's hear it. (laughs) (laughs) When love was king, you know. You know, that's all you're gonna give us. That's all you. That's that's all you. That's all you. <laughs> it's actually, you know what? CD. It starts. It starts off as a, um, not a fairy tale, but but like a, um, a bedtime story. You know, I'm, I'm considering my son and the world. I kind of want to bring him up in. You know, my six month year old, six month, six month year old, six month old, <laughs> <laughs> half year old. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and at some point, I'll start reading him bedtime stories. So the original title, it's not that anymore. The original title was When Love Was King, Demyon's. That's your son's name. Demyon's Bedtime Story. Uh-huh. Now, you could have titled it If Love Were King, but you wrote When Love Was King. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, bring it back. Mm, like it has existed. Yeah. Not just a dream. Well, this is, well, this was, so we open up the book. And the first verse is, there once was a kingdom far, far away, but love was the rule of the day. Nothing more and nothing less 
And to give your friend your best. There's much more story that I could tell to make the hardest hearts swell. Do you remember when love was king? You know, that's like the first few words of a bedtime story. Then the story starts. When love was king, this is these are the things he did, and this is how he lived his life. And um, at some point, I'll read it to him, you know, and I'll embellish the story like it is a bedtime story. But but now it's it's a it's a seven minute song. Wow. Um, as you were singing that, you were holding an imaginary book and turning the pages. Yeah. I could see the illustrations. I could see the book. Yeah. It makes me think someone should do the book with yeah. you with yeah. you uh, singing the narration. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's. It may be something that that will develop, but um, yeah. Well, I'll keep my fingers crossed. <laughs> mm, lovely man. Uh, yeah, people will have to just look out for that uh, that CD coming in the fall. S- yeah, September. September. Uh, Liquid Spirit. Liquid Spirit. There's probably a song called Liquid Spirit on it. There is. Yeah. <laughs> Which of the many Liquid Spirits does it refer to? Um. Well, yeah. You know. You know what's hard to find now. A neon sign that said spirits, spirits. Oh. I used to see them a lot when I was a kid, you know, <laughs> wine and spirits, spirits. And I was like, what are those spirits? You know, anyway, but the liquid spirit is, is um, the water, the, the soul, the energy, the love, the music, the culture that is sometimes pent up, damned, rerouted uh, by music industry uh, by uh, radio, by uh, sometimes self-imposed. Sometimes you know it's like, oh, this is not good for that demographic. You know, ah. you know that kind of thing. Or this music is not what's happening now, so it gets put on the shelf. Or you're too tall, you're too fat, you're too whatever. You kind of wonder, like, man, would would Lou Rawls make it now? I don't, I don't know. Yes, he would, but you know, back to the Lou Rawls thing. Yes, he would, but but he's just too good. Mm-hmm. But my point is, the music can sometimes be controlled and guided and shifted and kept away from the people down the way. That's thirsty. The lyric is unreroute the river, let the damned water be. Double meaning of damned. Uh, there's some people down the way that's thirsty. So let the liquid spirit free. The folk are thirsty because of man's unnatural hand. Watch what happens when the people catch wind of the water hitting the banks of that hard, dry land. And then I, I encourage the audience, the listener, to release the spirit, clap their hands, and get into it. Because, yeah, just this release of energy and soul and music, it comes from that sentiment that people have, where have you been? And where can I find more of what you're doing or, or this style, this feel, this energy? And I don't know if it's, it's, a, it's a craving and hunger for me. I think it's a craving for something, you know, grounded and, and soulful and thoughtful. Um, so it's, I'm just saying unreroute the river. Hmm. Let the damned water be. <laughs> yeah, water is such a powerful um, image in... You know, gospel music, mm-hmm. Wade in the Water. Yeah. Um, you have another water song yourself. Yeah. Uh, called Water. Yeah. Should we play that right now? 
play it. All right. Let it rip. Let's do it. <laughs> Water pouring down the sidewalks. Cleaning windows clear to see Washing gumdrops down Side gutters Rusting chains and saving me Greening gardens, drowning ants Changing rhythms, bruising plans, graying vistas so fully. Water pouring down the sidewalks Cleaning windows clear to see Washing gumdrops down side gutters Rusting chains and saving me Greening gardens, drowning ants, changing rhythms, bruising plants, graying vistas soulfully.
the title song there from Gregory Porter's 2010 album, Water. Gregory Porter is my guest here at the 7th Avenue Project here on KUSP Today. I'm Robert Polly. Uh, Gregory's making a return visit to the show. We did a long biographical interview with him last year, and we're lucky to have him back again. So, Gregory, there's water again, a uh, somewhat different sense of water. Uh, yeah, well, the theme uh, keeps coming up um, in my writing, and I, if I self-analyze some more, I could probably find the root of it being the many uh, water sermons that my mother used to preach about the cleansing power and the renewing and, and redemptive power. Baptism. So, yep. And, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Starting all over again, and that's mm-hmm. what that's what you know, in a way, water does to the land year mm. after year and constantly. It does it to us every day as, I, as we clean ourselves. But I hope every day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had your shower today? <laughs> <laughs> and and this, this source, in a way, that seeks uh, the path of least resistance, sometimes it's the most direct way, the most organic way of getting to one place one place to another not always in a straight line not always in a straight line but but the best way mm. water's <laughs> looking for the best way and so you know in my my theme of you know theme theme not theme <laughs> but in my theme of trying to be organic mm. uh, water just mm. kind of keeps coming up mm. and not trying to be calculating even in my music being open to what energy is out there for me to write about I feel like water in a way and just and just opening up and saying, okay, what is this next album going to be about? And then the songs come. They just kind of come to me. Uh, if, if I'm organic as water and just like let it happen. And I'm not saying every uh, song, every piece, everything that I'm, that I'm looking for is, is a masterpiece. But I can say that it is uh, something that comes... Uh, right from the inspiration to into my brain, into my heart, and then into the pen, and and it comes organically. So yeah. Do they come typically your songs? That is uh, as words or as melody? Uh, the melody and the word are are, are generally together. Together. Yeah. The, uh, uh, the rhythm and bass line come shortly thereafter. Really shortly. Um, and then I take some time and 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 uh, filling out you know the harmony, the feel of. That carries this 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 melody and this 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 lyric and this emotion. The harmony is what carries the emotion. In a mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find it so interesting that they come as a package, the, the lyrics and the melody uh, initially, because I could imagine you have a poetic concept. You were just reciting some of your lyrics. You have a, a you know a concept you like to develop. It comes in words, and then you try to think of a melody. Or I can imagine a really cool melody coming, and then saying, "Well, what could this be about?" Mm-hmm. But to come. Together, man, that is a gift. Yeah, and I think um, I think things are working themselves out as well in my subconscious before, before it gets to me. Some devil in the back of my brain, like <laughs> Let me angel, <laughs> angel. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, like you know. So when so when you do sit down and you say, "Wow, that song just came to me," just like unreroute the river, let the damn water be. There's some people down the way that's thirsty, so let the liquid spirit free. Mm-mm-mm. The folk are thirsty because of man's unnatural hand. Watch what happens when the people catch wind of water hitting the banks of hard dry land. Now, when it comes out and pours out of you quickly, you can say, oh, it just poured out of me quickly. But it may have been 
Oh yeah, getting itself together in the back of your brain for a little while. Oh yeah, you the know the energy yeah. of that. That energy is definitely inside of you, and then mm-hmm. it's like it comes out that way. Got it. Yeah, you know, on on this show, I interview musicians, but also scientists. We have talked about what the subconscious is doing. The yeah. fact that maybe the majority of thinking and uh, creativity is down there, and that the consciousness just gets it at the end. You know, yeah. after it's been worked out. Yeah. <laughs> So that fits right in with some other interviews we've done. Um, you, you know, I was going to ask you um, whether you were going to be doing more with your gospel roots, growing up in the church, singing in the church, and uh, everything you've sung to me practically uh, from the new album, the gospel is front and center. Yeah, yeah. Well, to me, it's um, it's front and center on on um, the previous uh, recordings as well. Water is a um, is a prayer. My first record, Water is a Prayer, and you know that's the element of gospel as well. Mm-hmm. The, the gospel ballad, I, I, and, and again, I'm not beating anybody over the head with 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 religion, and I have respect for all uh, religions and whatever people's you know personal choice is. Uh, but the things that have been instilled in me in a way, from my earliest foundation. I mean, not even, I'm not a, a regular churchgoer now. I'm probably in a jazz club with a cocktail more often than I am <laughs> in church. But those roots and those foundations are still there, and and they're strong, and, and they find their way into the things that I want to say uh, in terms of mutual respect and being you know, thoughtful and kind and being respectful about other people, you know. Well, and gospel music has such a strong understanding of human emotion, I mean, in the very structure of of the singing. Yeah, I mean, even what it's trying to do to you, <laughs> you know, fit to your ears and to your body and to your, you know. Oh, yeah. Start you off calm. Then exactly. we're going to build you up and ring, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it is it is manipulation. It is the most powerful form of musical manipulation. Ray Charles saw the genius of it when he was said, "Okay, let me take this soulful stuff to the masses." And I listened to some of his songs, like, "Man, you took that straight out of the church." Absolutely. And just changed. Oh yeah, baby for Jesus. You know, <laughs> and you know he was criticized for that, as was Sam Cooke. You know, yeah. Well, I mean, that came that, right that, out of the gospel scene, got into pop music and people criticize him but he was really taking yeah the, the brilliant legacy of gospel and just extending it once you feel like the power and energy of a greater source coming through your body and you feel that energy you can replicate that sound and that feeling by other things that are that come naturally as well my mother was pretty hip about this and i was like well mom I don't know if I want to be a gospel singer. I remember barely being able to see over the the dashboard of my mother's Cadillac. So I must have been seven or eight. And uh, I was like, you know, I don't know if I want to be a gospel singer. I was like, but I do want to sing about love. And she said, baby, that's fine. That's, you know, God made love. That's that's acceptable. And uh, that's pretty hip. You know, she was a minister. I wanted to play uh, another song of yours. And this one, this one's very jazzy. Uh, another original song, like so many that you sing. This is uh, Bling Bling mm-hmm. from Be Good. 
I am so rich in love and so poor in everything that makes love matter. I've got gifts to give, but no place for those gifts to live. Like diamond hearts and golden dreams, my song is just like bling bling. And loving, so poor and everything that makes love matter. I've got gifts to give, but no place for those gifts to live. I've been dismissed by those who like cream on top of cream. I scream, bling, bling. Just a sample there of the song Bling Bling, written and performed by Gregory Porter, who I'm joined by today on the 7th Avenue Project. Gregory, I'm I'm particularly interested in this one line uh, from that song, I've got gifts to give, but no place for those gifts to live. What motivated that uh, line of thinking? Wanting to sing. I mean, I came to the public eye or even to an interested ear um, at 37, you know, so. Um, what was happening to you at that age? Because that's not that long ago. That's when Water was my first record. Oh, your first record. Okay. But at 27, I wanted to record. You know, at 17, I wanted to record. And so this pent-up energy. So Bling Bling is probably liquid spirit in the singular. It's that artistic impatience wanting to sing and wanting to give this love and this energy or this or whatever this thing is. I wanted to get to people and wanted to sing, but I had no place. Wow. I am so rich in love and so poor in everything that makes love matter. And you could, we could expound on that. What are the things that, oh, you have to be a certain size and, you know, whatever. For some reason, I wasn't getting the opportunity. I'm not blaming anybody. It's probably more myself and, 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 and the self-confidence that's necessary in order to, you know, to step to the microphone or get in front of people who can further your career. Um, I am so rich in love and so poor in everything that makes love matter. I've got gifts to give, but no place for those gifts to live. Um, that means I've, you know, spent many hours singing in my room. And, you know, nobody was hearing my songs. I wrote some songs that are now in the trash somewhere that nobody ever heard. And so, so now the thing that's precious to me, that's valuable to me, is my song. My song is like bling bling. My song is the diamonds. And the songs are about my, my mother and my family, my culture, and my country, and my and those are things that are valuable to me. I'm sure people are wondering why it you had to wait so long to record. We heard a selection from Ain't Nothing But the Blues, which was recorded way back in the late nineties. So that was ten more than ten years before you got your first solo album out. Mm-hmm. We heard that you could really sing. 
I know that you could really write because um, last time we talked, I played another selection from that play that you had written yourself, mm-hmm. Children, Your Line is Dragon. Yeah. has a very interesting story behind it we don't have yeah. time for now. Yeah. You know, you had all the, you did have the gifts. Yeah. So why, why more than 10 years before you got your first um, CD out? I could blame it on theater taking me away from oh, being able to concentrate on, uh-huh. on, on uh, cultivating a band, sitting down, writing for the band, and, and you know, hashing out my thoughts. I could blame it on that, you know, relationships in a way could take you, <laughs> keep you away from, uh, you know, uh, focus and confidence. And sometimes in a way, sometimes you, 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 you're you like, okay, how does the music industry work? Doesn't somebody come along and just see you and then they make you? Not all the time. I'm, I may be just that artist that has to kind of self-make. And that's that's what happened in a way. Yeah. You know, uh, it must have been frustrating, but on the other hand, when you did appear with your first album, you were a fully formed talent, and uh, people said, wow, Mm. you know, a star is born. Mm. Actually, that star had been a borning for a long time. (laughs) Gregory, we're we're about out of time. It has been so nice to reunite with you and and explore your art more. Um, I wonder if we should go out with one last song, or... If you have any lines you'd like to sing for us right now. Yeah, I, I mentioned it earlier, you know. One line, it, sometimes it chokes me up when I think about it. He lifted up, he lifted up the underneath and all his wealth he did bequeath to those who toiled without a gain so they would remember his reign. This 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 song this this idea you know of of love being king, when love is king in our lives, hungry children will be taken care of, uh, homeless and the underneath will be lifted up. You know, music is an interesting thing and an interesting way to spread an idea, not a new idea, but spread an idea that is churning in your heart. So yeah. I'm cool with it. I, I love where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, and I'm 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 just appreciative of the ears that listen and um yeah, just thankful to be where I am. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Gregory. Yeah. It's been great. Pleasure. Gregory Porter will be returning to our area for the Monterey Jazz Festival. He'll be performing in the arena on September 20th. And you know which station will be providing exclusive coverage of the Monterey Jazz Festival? Why, this one, of course. This has been the 7th Avenue Project. I'm Robert Polly, bidding you goodbye until next week. You can always listen to past shows and learn more online at 7thAvenueProject.com. I found out on my way to Harlem Ellington, you don't live around He moved away one day, so they say, from Harlem. I can hear his echo still. Now, 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 you can't keep me away from where I was born. I was baptized by my daddy's home.
Langston Hughes, he don't live round here.